What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program got a, a lot on our program today. I want to start out by telling you about how uh, Santa Claus and the Republican death cult are about to drop a bomb on uh, Joe Biden's head, politically speaking. Also, I want to get into Kurt Schrader and Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin. Why are these Democrats betraying President Biden? Why? Today's rant over at HartmanReport.com is titled, Santa Claus is about to drop a bomb on Biden. And basically, here's what it lays out. The stock market's down like 500 points or something like that today. Uh, and in part, this is a reaction. Now, I realize they're saying, oh, gee, there's a company that's crashing in China. Well, that would take down the Chinese stock market. But what's happening here is that last Friday, Janet Yellen, our Treasury Secretary, came out and said... We ran out of money. The federal government ran out of money at the end of July. It is now September. And if you all don't raise the debt ceiling pretty soon, we're going to have to start cutting back on what we spend money on. And if we reach the point where we can't even service our debt, we're talking a worldwide depression. And sure enough, on Sunday, Mitch McConnell came out and said, yep, said zero votes, Republican votes for the debt ceiling. So on Sunday, yesterday, Yellen came out again and this time in the Wall Street Journal, saying, quote, we would emerge from this crisis a permanently weaker nation, end quote, if the Republicans do this strategy of saying, no, we're not going to raise the debt ceiling, we're going to crash the economy. This is an actual strategy. They have been running this since 1981. In summary, here's how the strategy works. It's called the Two Santa Claus Theory, and it was devised by Jude Wanisky. It was first published in the Wall Street Journal in 1974 as basically a letter to the Republican Party. Here's how you can never again lose an election. First, this, the Two Santa Claus Theory uh, dictates, when Republicans control the White House, they must spend money like a drunken Santa and cut taxes to run up the U.S. debt as far and as fast as possible. This produces three results for Republicans when they're in the White House. First, it stimulates the economy like crazy. Reagan tripled the national debt. He took it from $800 billion to $2.5 trillion and spent all that, you know, just spending mind-boggling amounts of money at the same time he was cutting taxes. And that stimulus actually improved the economy. And so people look back and go, hey, the economy was pretty good during Reagan. Yeah, give me a $2 trillion credit card. I'll show you what it looks like to live large. Anyhow, that's the first effect. The second is that it raises the debt which is what the Republicans actually want. 
And then the third is that you add to that massive tax cuts and the Republicans are viewed as Santa Claus. Hey, they're giving me tax money back. That's the first part of the two Santa Claus strategy. The second part is that when a Democrat is in the White House, you completely reverse the script. Republicans need to scream bloody murder about the national debt as loudly and as frantically as they possibly can. Our children are gonna have to pay for it. We have to cut spending to solve this crisis. Shut down the government, crash the stock market, damage US credibility around the world if that's what's necessary to stop Democrats from spending any more money. In fact, if you can get the Democrats to even start cutting back on their own social programs that support average working people, they cease to become Santa Claus, but they become the guys who shot Santa Claus. And sure enough, they're doing it again. They're following their two Santa Claus theory. Well, where did this come from? This, this came from this guy, as I said, Jude Wininsky back in 1974 in the Wall Street Journal. He first proposed his two Santa Claus strategy this was back when Nixon, you know, was, re, had resigned in disgrace and the Republican Party was in such, such terrible shape that they were literally uh, writing books about, Kevin Phillips wrote a book, you know, basically wondering whether the Republican Party would even survive. But Wininsky came out and said, no, the Republicans, the reason Republicans are losing elections is not because Nixon was corrupt. That is past. The reason Republicans are losing elections is because they oppose Social Security, they oppose Medicare, they oppose unemployment insurance, they oppose food stamps, they oppose welfare, and they're not viewed as Santa Claus, they're viewed as Scrooge. And we need to change that. And then, of course, the question was, okay, how do we do that? And, and he said, you become the Santa Claus of tax cuts. And thus was the strategy born. Right. And it worked really well. They they did. You know, when uh, they first of all, Reagan came into office and Reagan and Bush together ran up more national debt, more debt in the United States than every administration from George Washington to Jimmy Carter combined, combined all the world wars, all the debt, all the spending, the Revolutionary War, the civil, everything all added all together. And Reagan ran up more debt than that in one term. Well, you add Bush, you know, one, 12 years, actually. So, first of all, now you've got this massive debt. Now Bill Clinton comes into the White House. What do the Republicans do with it? Well, Jude Wininsky, by the way, had invented this phrase, supply-side economics, as a justification for Reagan's drunken, drunken Santa spending. And Art Laffer came up with his uh, famous curve that said that when taxes go down, revenue to the government goes up. And so those two things were used as the, you know, the kind of Potemkin village, the, the, the mask over the face, the, the, the justification for this. So then Bill Clinton comes into office, and what do, the, what do the Republicans do? They scream absolutely freaking bloody murder. Clinton had been elected on the New Covenant speech, the, his stump speech, which promised to expand Social Security, expand Medicare, create a single-payer health care system in the United States, expand the, the social safety net, all kinds of really great stuff that Clinton campaigned on. And then as he was coming into office, you know, Wininsky insider Alan Greenspan and his good buddy uh, Goldman Sachs co-chairman Robert Rubin sat him down and said, you know, Bush and Reagan left you such massive budget deficits 
that you're not going to be able to do your, no, your new covenant. You're not going to be able to spend more money. In fact, you're going to have to start cutting programs. And Clinton believed them. He took it to heart. He became the anti-Santa Claus. He said, the era of big government is over. It's the end of welfare as we know it. And the result was exactly what Jude Winiski predicted. Democrats started losing elections all over the country as a result of Clinton going, you know, shooting Santa Claus in the face. Thus, in 1999, looking at the wreckage around Bill Clinton, his last year of his presidency, 19, well, next to the last year, uh, Winiski wrote this gloating memo that said, quote, we of course should be indebted to Art Laffer for all time for his curve, but as the primary political theoretician of the supply side camp, I began arguing for the two Santa Claus theory in 1974. If the Democrats are going to play Santa Claus by promoting more spending, the Republicans can never beat them by promoting less spending. They have to promise tax cuts. Then the president of the, uh, the Cato Institute, uh, you know, the, this funded, Koch-funded think tank, uh, Ed Crane, he noted in a memo that year, quote, when Jack Kemp, Newt Gingrich, Vin Weber, Connie Mack, and the rest discovered June Whiskey and Art Laffer, they thought they'd died and gone to heaven. In supply-side economics, they found a philosophy that gave them a free pass out of the debate over the proper role of government. That's why you rarely, if ever, heard Kemp or Gingrich call for spending cuts, much less the elimination of programs and departments. And that was the year, 1999, that was the year that two Santa Clauses went mainstream. When the media bought it hook, line, and sinker, and, you know, the Republicans got what they wanted from Winiski's work. They held power for 40 years, and they did it to Clinton. Then they did it to Obama, the exact same thing. Oh, my God, tax cuts, uh, you know, or excuse me, oh, my God, uh, deficits. We, we can't, you know, you can't spend your way out of And what did, what did Obama do? He, he, he believed them, too. He said, okay, let's cut Social Security. Let's do the chain CPI. His base stopped him. But he was willing to, get, you know, Obama was willing to cut Social Security because the, all of the pressure, because, oh, my God, the debt, oh, my God. And then in 2011, when Obama was president, they wouldn't, they, the Republicans, like they're threatening to do right now, like Mitch McConnell threatened to do over the weekend, they refused to raise the debt ceiling, and the U.S. shut down the government. In fact, if you're watching the series on, uh, I, I forget where it's coming from now, I'm watching it on Amazon Prime, but it's coming from someplace else about Monica Lewinsky. You know, the whole impeachment thing. I think it's Showtime. I'm not, I'm not real sure. But anyway, I, Louise and I have been watching. It's an amazing movie. But uh, we're up to part two right now. But that was the year. Sure enough, it was during the shutdown that Monica and Bill got kind of thrown in together into the Oval Office. Um, but anyhow, that, that, that happened again to, uh, that wasn't 2011. That was, that was uh, 1999. But it, but, or, or whichever year it was. But it, it, it happened again to President Obama. Now, he didn't have Monica, but um, <laughs> it's like it worked. And, and, you know, when Bush was in office before, Cheney came out right out and said it, he, you know, as they were spending money and cutting taxes. He said, Reagan proved deficits don't matter. We won the midterms. This is our due. Now they're trying to drop this bomb on Joe Biden's head. And already the stock market is going soft as a result of it. And it's going to get worse. Over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear a lot of talk about the debt ceiling. This is what's really going on. 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's all about the two Santa Claus theory. Jude Wininski has been dead for a long time, but he lives on. We'll be right back. This is just incredible. When Jude Wininski died, you know, I mentioned Jude Wininski has been dead for a while. When he died, George Gilder, who is a, you know, a, a well-known Republican and prominent Republican the- theoretician and uh, activist, I'm not sure he's still around, but this was because this was uh, back in, I believe, the uh, 1980s that uh, Wininski died, maybe the 90s. Anyhow, the Wall Street Journal published a eulogy that Gilder wrote, and Gilder gave him all the credit. He says, quote, Jude's charismatic focus on the tax on capital gains redeemed the fiscal policies of four administrations. Unbound by zero-sum economics, Jude forged the golden gift of a profound and passionate argument that the establishments of the mold must finally give way to the powers of the mind. He audaciously defied all the buffeteers of the trade gap, the moldy figs of the Phillips curve, the chic traders in money and principle, and even the stultifying pillows of the Nobel Prize. Yes, indeed, there were Nobel Prize winning economists who were saying, but wait a minute, this is crazy. When Reagan was campaigning back in 1980, and he adopted Wininsky and Laffer's theory, Wininsky invented supply-side economics, which said that you know, the, the historic demand-side economics of Adam Smith and David Ricardo and, well, going back to Aristotle, literally, 3,000 years. Classic economics. What drives an economy? People having money in their pocket that they go into the marketplace and spend. That's what drives an economy. I mean, it was just unambiguous, right? Everybody understood this. And then, our, uh, and then uh, Jude Wadinsky comes along and says, no, 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 no. What drives an economy is that there's lots of stuff on the short store's shelves. Now, occasionally that's true, which is what gave him credibility. For example, when Steve Jobs invented the iPhone and invented the ultra-thin laptop, the MacBook Air, and invented tablet computers, it actually expanded the economy because there was new stuff to buy. But that's really kind of the exception to the rule. If a store doubles the amount of inventory that they have, it doesn't expand the economy unless people have money to buy it. And that's what classical economics always said, was it's money in the pockets of average working people who spend all of their money to buy whatever's out there. That's what drives the economy. And then when those people spend that money, then manufacturers have to start making more stuff to meet that demand, demand uh, what, what the economists call aggregate demand, you and I call wages. And so then factories have to be built to meet that demand, and thus the economy grows. I mean, this is, this is how we've understood economics for 3,000 years. As I said, you know, literally Aristotle talked about this. But ever since, ever since 1974, Republicans have had a new idea, supply-side economics. If we send more money to rich people, if we give them giant tax cuts, they will build new factories, even if nobody has money to buy their stuff. And when they build new factories, they'll put people to work because they're job creators. 
How's that worked out for you, huh? I haven't seen any evidence of it working anywhere. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So... Do you have any ideas about how the Democrats can fight back against this? It seems to me like just outing the two Santa Claus theory is like the most important thing, which is why I wrote about it in my op-ed today, and I hope that people share it far and wide. And I hope that it can get through to some of the media, because the media is portraying this as a Biden crisis, not as a political con job, as a political setup. So question number one, how can the Democrats best deal with this? Question number two, will the death cult end? I mean, this is uh, Kurt Bardella, who used to work for two different Republican lawmakers. He was a senior staffer for both of them. He now is a, a commentator who regularly pops up on like MSNBC. He noted that the GOP is, is shrinking in part because a lot of Republicans are just disgusted with Donald Trump and Trumpism and, and whatnot, but it's also shrinking because they are literally killing off their own voters. He said, uh, he said this on MSNBC over the weekend, he said, uh, the party is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We have a party that, number one, is giving instructions to their most ardent supporters that will kill them. If you believe this iteration of the Republican Party, it could cost you your life. Your leaders, governors like the one in Mississippi, what we've seen in Alabama with more deaths in Alabama than actual births last year. If you believe in this party, it could cost you your life. And then he goes on to point out that, you know, number two, if you're a woman, uh, the Republican Party's got nothing for you. They don't believe that you should have control over your own body. And so the party's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And he said, this is what's going to happen to the Republican Party if they keep going down this path. 
So what happens, I mean, the Republican, so the Republican Party is all in on not getting vaccinated. What happens when there's a vaccine available for, for younger kids, 5 to 12? That's probably going to happen in the next week or two. And, and pretty much everybody in the country who is paying attention to the actual news or votes Democratic is vaccinated. And the blue states are doing just fine, thank you very much. In fact, they're starting to open back up. At the same time that red states, I mean, Washington State, which Washington and Oregon border uh, Idaho. And Washington State is now saying to Idaho, you know, we're not going to take your, your COVID patients anymore. Sorry, not going to take them. So what happens in America when we've got one, you know, the red states, people are just dying in droves. And in the blue states, they're getting back to normal. Will the red states figure this out? Will Republicans figure this out? Will, people, will they turn on the Republican Party or are they going to double down on death? I honestly don't know the answer. What do you think? And what happens? when large chunks of America start conspicuously dying off and other large chunks of America are just doing fine, thank you very much. I'd say that we're there right now, but uh, it seems like we're just kind of on the edge of there. Tim in Rochester, New York, it says you disagree with me. What's, what do you disagree about, Tim? When you say that, or there was a comment, I think I, I read, heard it correctly, that the people who follow Trump, Trump policies are killing people, and I, I, I caught the tail end of it. Were you talking about the vaccines, people not taking the vaccines? Yes, Trump and his if Trump so, and his buddies spreading skepticism about both vaccines and masks, yes. Both vaccines and masks. Well, I, I can imagine, he just held a rally where he encouraged everybody to take vaccines where there was 100,000 people there. Yeah. And they <laughs> booed, booed him about Nobody's taking him seriously. He, you know, it's just like when he said, you know, yeah, we're, we're opposed to white supremacy. Didn't mean it when he said Everybody that? understands the wink, wink, nod, nod when it comes from Donald Trump. What's your point? Now, now, now when President Biden and Kamala Harris were running for president, they uh, stated on national TV that they would not take the vaccine if Trump was involved in it in any way. Uh, no, they didn't say that. Um, Kamala Harris, uh, one, of, one of them was asked if Trump was the one who was advocating the vaccine, would they trust that? And they said, basically, I'm, I don't think I would, you know, I, I would want the FDA vaccine, but because Donald Trump was involved with it, they wouldn't trust it? Uh, no, what they were saying, and Tim, I suggest you go back and read the original source. It was fairly obvious at the time. The right wing went all hysterical about it. Fox News talked about it for four days nonstop. But what they were saying was, if the FDA says this vaccine is good, it's good. If Donald Trump is the only voice saying it's good, I'm not going to trust it. And like I said, that's ancient history, Tim. Thanks a lot. Good try, though. Good try. Uh, Andrew in Detroit. Hey, Andrew, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. As far as uh, dealing with the Republicans, months ago you were talking about possibly ending the majority of income tax, other than the necessities that government needs to run, such as military and whatever, and see how the red states survive without income tax coming back from... But you're not talking about ending the income tax. You're talking about ending the redistribution of ta federal taxes from the federal government, from from us in blue states to the red states. The red states are taking two, three dollars for every dollar they send to D.C. And blue states are getting like 40, 50, 60, 70 cents for every dollar they send to D.C. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Let, let Biden be Santa Claus and, and take away those things, you know, and then we form a coalition in the blue states, collect up taxes and, and we build our roads. We build our schools. 
flip the red states. So look, how would Kentucky make out should that happen? It's already happening, Andrew. I mean, you know, the, you've got in Mississippi, you've got higher rates of, of uh, a hookworm and roundworm and higher rates of maternal and child mortality, women, women and children dying in childbirth, than in, most third, than in many third world countries. Not, not, I don't think most, but many third world countries. I mean, it's, we, we literally have a third world country here in the United States, and it's called the Deep South. Right, right. They're not going to listen to anything we're saying. They, they don't even listen to the media that we listen to. So they're not going to get correct information on any of this. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, but does when you know when when you see somebody die on TV, it's it's an abstraction. When your next door neighbor dies from COVID, it gets real, right? Or somebody that you are friends with on Facebook. So I guess the question is, at what point? What's it going to take for Trump followers and red state governors? We saw Tate Reeves, the governor of Mississippi, over the weekend. Um, just make a f total fool of himself on Jake Tapper's show, um, you know, defending uh, his unwillingness to allow schools to have mask mandates. At what point do they get it that they are killing themselves? I guess that's my question. I don't know how much attrition has to happen before yeah. that really sinks in. With I, I don't either. It's a, I, I would have thought long before now. But Andrew, thank you for the call. Uh, Don in Wheaton, Illinois. Hey, Don, what's up? Hello. Hey, Don, you're on the air. Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I uh, when you were saying earlier that, uh, you know, the media is, is following the Republicans uh, narrative, uh, I don't think we can expect to wake up the media, uh, even though some of the news personalities may be some of them may be more liberal. Uh, the networks and uh, well, the networks and the conglomerates like NBC and Comcast will follow the Republican narrative because they don't want any chance of Biden or or a future president, uh, Democratic or independent, going in and breaking up the monopolies and going after net neutrality. And raising their taxes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I get it. Exactly. I mean, you know, the, the bias that's built into the media, people fail to realize when they're watching, you know, whether it's CNN or MSNBC or, or ABC, NBC, CBS, that they are watching a multi-billion dollar corporation. They're watching the news being presented by a multi-billion dollar corporation. And multi-billion dollar corp and, and most of the people who are presenting the news, by the way, are paid well over a million dollars a year. So you've got uh, both presenters and, and producers are, are paid quite well, not a million dollars a year, but they're typically paid very well, well into six figures. And so you've got an entire industry that has its own essentially ax to grind. And, uh, but you know, they're presenting themselves as, oh, we are the, we are the guys in the middle. We, we are the ones who are presenting. So yeah, there is a certain bias there. And that's why I think they're more inclined to buy into uh, the whole two Santa Claus thing. Don, thanks for the call. Scott in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, Scott, what's up? Hey, uh, I like this two Santa Claus theory, but you know, it's a simple solution. We got to get out and vote, and we vote as Democrats, uh, liberals. We outnumber them. We win, and if we do that in the midterm elections, that will scare the crap out of the conservatives of this country, and they will start to really take a hard look at how well Trump is allegedly leading their party off the cliff. It will scare the crap out. I of hope so, that. Scott. The oh. thing is, I mean, you live in Ohio. Ohio, uh, the your Secretary of State has been deleting 
massive numbers of mostly black yeah. people from the voting rolls in cities like Cincinnati and Cleveland. And mm -hmm. it, you know, the, the Republican and the Democrats sued over that, saying, wait a minute, this is, this is highly racialized uh, you know, voter uh, purging. And uh, they took it to the Supreme Court, and by a five to four right-wing majority, the Supreme Court said, it's good with us. So you're going to have yeah. a whole lot of people, Democratic voters, who show up to vote in the midterms, you know, next November, uh, who are told when they get there, sorry, you're not even registered to vote. I believe there's a way you can go online in Ohio, and I can't remember the website where you can verify if you're still registered to vote. Yeah. I have to check what the website there is. is, but there, you can do that. There is, and um, there's, there's a national website, too, that gives you access to that. And I'm sorry I don't have it right off the top of my head. Every, every two years, we, we start promoting this website. <laughs> but, but you, know, that, that, you know, the people who are listening to this program are probably not the people who are going to get blindsided. The people who are going to get blindsided are the are the relatively low information voters. The people who are listening to sports radio or music, uh, the people who only pay attention to politics for you know the last month of every election cycle, and sure. by then it's way too late to even check your voter registration. In a lot yeah, of yeah, that's why you got to take friends. That's why you got to take friends. You got to talk it up with your friends. I mean, we all yeah. we're all in our own little tribes, unfortunately. But you gotta you gotta talk to your tribe and get them all on the same page. I if we do that, we're in good shape. I am completely right, with you because, yeah, thank you, Scott, because the Republican Party, as Kurt Bordello points out, the Republican Party is shrinking. Not only are they killing off their own members, but people who realize that they're killing off their own members are saying, that's not my party anymore. I'll see you guys later. It's going to be a real interesting election next year. Gordon in Naperville, Illinois. Hey, hey Gordon, what's up? The way to beat the two Santa Claus theory is to become the bigger Santa Claus. I agree. Beat them at their own game. And in fact, that's what Joe Biden's trying to do with his three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation package. But now he's got Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin in the Senate and Kurt Schrader and some of his buddies in the House trying to kneecap him. Right. Now, one of the ways that I think we should do this is through tax cuts. I'd like to propose a basically a flat tax Except, which I know the knee-jerk reaction is, no, no, that's regressive. But if you tax all income, regardless of source or type, so that includes uh, you know stocks, options, whatever, but also include a flat deduction, give everybody the same $100,000 deduction. So now nobody making $100,000 or less pays any taxes. That would be popular. Right. But Basically also, what you're arguing, Gordon, uh, if I may, is uh, or what it sounds to me, is simply do away with the capital gains designation and, uh, and carried interest and all these other fancy designations for other kinds of income that people, quote, earn by sitting on their butt around the pool waiting for the check to arrive and roll all of that into tax. one thing called income tax. Uh, yes, call it a flat tax, but then give everybody the same deduction, all right? So you eliminate taxes on essentially all of the lower income people. Biggest tax cut in history, right? Yeah. But yeah. then on top of that, there's a third part here that um, if you take that deduction and you allow for negative taxes. So let's say you make $50,000 a year, deduct $100,000, you now are gonna get taxed on negative 50, 
In other words, you get so money back. Get Those are called tax back. credits. And that's, you know, the child tax credit is actually, our, you know, using your logic, it's being referred to by Democrats as the well, largest middle class tax cut in history. And I think if you, if you accept that logic, it is. And they're proposing in their Build Back Better plan, this $3.5 trillion reconciliation package, to make that permanent. It expires at the end of next year. Well, except what this would do is essentially give the guaranteed minimum income. Right. Whether you have children or not. If, yeah. let's say, no, I get it. Uh, I completely say, get it. Let's say the flat tax is 20%. Even if you gave a negative tax rate of half of that, sure. and somebody who makes nothing in a year, somebody who is, for some reason, unemployable, yeah. They're still going to get at least ten grand a year. No, I, I get what you're saying, you can, Gordon, and, and it's not a bad idea. I, you know, I, I, uh, you know, it's not a bad idea at all. I, I'm wary of the phrase ta flat tax, but, but uh, you know, it's such a large change, though, in our tax policy. I, I think the practical reality is that it ain't going to happen. DK in Rapid City, South Dakota. Hey, DK, what's up? I enjoy you. The boy started listening to you in homeschool years back, and he got me hooked. Oh, great. So. You were talking about COVID in these red states and what it's going to take. And mm -hmm. I live in an extremely rural area, not in Rapid. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, a lot of it, I think, comes down to just peer pressure. Because uh, if you, nobody wants to be attacked for taking precautions or speaking out or whatever. And so most of the time, nobody says much of anything. I started wearing a mask in March of 2020. I go to town, I wear a mask. Uh, if I interact with somebody and it's not outdoors at a fair distance, I wear a mask. If it's somebody I'm uncertain what their attitude is, I will wear a mask even outdoors until I see whether, you know, if they attack me for wearing a mask, I'm just going to tell them to get off my property. Yeah. Are you yeah. getting blowback for that in South Dakota? I mean, you've got a governor, Christy, um, Christy Nome, who is responsible for no, she thousands just, she, of deaths. She's just looking for what her next job's going to be. She wants to be the next vice president or president or whatever, and she's not going to do it. But, mm -hmm. but anyway, uh, no, I, I haven't gotten, you know, I got a look or two in once in a while, but everybody in the area, we don't go to town much in the first place. And then with this COVID thing, we go to town a lot less, and we have two designated members of the family that I do the local stuff with a mask, and another family member younger than me does the out-of-county stuff with a mask. Just in the last, since, since we got vaccinated, I started going, I'll go to the next county and go to, a, go to grocery stores and like that with a mask. Almost nobody's wearing a mask. But, you know, there's but nobody's complaining about it. A lot of places have disposable masks and hand sanitizer available. Everybody's just trying to keep their head down and not get attacked. Yeah, on both sides. In, in my from my perspective, but it's like I'm not going out and socializing. I don't do that much anyway, because I like living in the middle of nowhere. Right. So but uh, the other thing with South Dakota is. Historically, we've voted Democratic in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, but Wasn't George Republican, McGovern from South Dakota? Somebody was. Yeah, McGovern was from South Dakota, and we had uh, was Johnson. And they did a survey after he had that health issue. Like, did they think we ought to 
kick him out because he wasn't up to doing his job. And my response when the Republican Party polled me was, uh, no, he's been in there a long time. He's been doing just fine. I think we'll just let him stay in there until he decides to leave. Mm-hmm. And that was. And then after that, I didn't hear diddly squat anymore about trying to get rid of him. Yeah. But we stopped taking Republican polls. But the reason for staying registered Republican in this state is if you want to have a voice, your best chance of a voice is going to be voting in the primary for the candidate that's least bad. Yeah. And that's the only way you got any kind of a voice until you get to the actual election. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I wanted to just lay out one last question slash argument for you here. Uh, this, over the weekend, uh, Kirsten Cinema is saying that, you know, the, the, the progressive strategy has been to tie the uh, Republican Democratic uh, collaborative bill that's got lots and lots of goodies for corporate America and tax breaks, and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, in addition to rebuilding some of our infrastructure, the basically it's got about $500 billion worth of new spending over 10 years. So it's a $50 billion a year program. To tie that to the $300 billion, $350 billion a year program, the $3.5 trillion bill, and vote on them both at the same time. And Kirsten Sinema in the Senate is saying, nope. And now Kurt Schrader in the uh, U.S. House, uh, this from Politico.com, uh, Representative Kurt Schrader, one of approximately 10, quote, moderate uh, Democratic House members playing hardball with leadership, said he and several members of their group are on the same page as Kirsten Sinema and all the Republicans. Some of the lawmakers have conveyed that message up the chain to leadership in the White House. A senior Democratic aide confirmed the warnings. Schrader told Playbook, this is Politico's Playbook piece, if they delay the vote or it goes down, then I think you can kiss reconciliation, goodbye reconciliation, will be dead. Which, of course, is what these, you know, it's what the billionaires want. It's what the Republicans want. They do not want the, Repo- they, the Democrats to be Santa Claus. They don't want the Democrats to do anything that's going to win them votes. They don't want Joe Biden to have any successes. And so these Democrats are betraying their own party and their own president. 
from Kurt Schrader to Joe Manchin to Kirsten Cinema. Why is this? Why are these Democrats betraying President Biden? And why do they continue to advocate for the filibuster, which is a betrayal of democracy? The only thing that I can think of is that they're being paid off. I mean, is there an ideological reason? If you know it, I don't. I've, I've not, you know, I can't see any ideology, any, you know, smart, you know, economic, political, structural, uh, you know, historical, miracle, you know, whatever. Any argument for this? Larry in Richmond, Virginia. Hey, Larry, what's up? Hey, fine, fine, Tom. How's it going? Good. Tom, you're, you're that doctor who called about the colonization, how you leave legacy institutions and how those legacy institutions cause the country to develop into a sounder economy. So my question is, Tom, when we had federal troops at the end of the Civil War in the South, why shouldn't we have left those federal troops in the South to leave a legacy institution and we would not be left with the wealth inequity, the pandemic that's out of control? So yeah, that's, that's why I asked him, that? should California colonize Mississippi? <laughs> So, but but we had a chance. We took the federal troops out of the South. Yeah, yeah, and in 1876. So, look, so, 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 and it's still European powers. You had a predominant European northern, northern, and a predominant European southern. So you cannot argue that. So, but right. how can he explain that? Let's bring the troops back to the South. Yeah, well, I can tell you that the the explanation that. Um, white racists lay out, and I'm not saying that Gil, uh, Dr. Gilley is one. I'm, I'm just saying that his arguments are, are embraced by them. Um, what they would say is uh, that the South is backwards because that's where 60% of the black population in America lives, and you know, which is just obviously on its face BS. And another demonstration of, of the virulence, the, 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 the deadly uh, contagion of racism. Uh, historically here in the United States and the, and the kind of damage that it does. But Tom, we allowed those same uh, leadership of the South to come back to power yeah. and negotiated their survival. So, so really, I think his argument is, is really not a sound argument. Yeah. Because again, had we did what he suggests, we still be in the South now after 100 years occupying the South and maybe we might have brought the Southern part of this country into some kind of civilization. I know that sounds very controversial. No, I but, get what uh, you're saying, Larry. And I, but I don't think it would have taken 100 years, by the way. I, you know, I mean, the, uh, the Reconstruction period uh, lasted from arguably from 1866 to, to, to 1876, or, the, or early 1877, you know, as a consequence of the election of 1876. That was less than a decade. And less than 10 years with, with Rutherford behaves. That's correct. Yeah. So, and, and so we did you know, not we just achieve political equity. We yeah. did not achieve political equity. No, we did not. And, and, and that, again, was being animated by what I would argue is the same, the same worldview that, that uh, you know, white people should rule and everybody should follow the, their example. And white people right now, by the way, are killing our planet. Larry, thank you for the call. George in Chicago. Hey, George, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. One quick observation about why the treasonous Democrats are betraying Joe Biden. Sounds Machiavellian, but they're not afraid of him. They're more afraid of the conservative outfits that are funding them. Yeah, um, it may well be. 
But uh, Dr. Gilly's, uh, your conversation with Dr. Gilly had my head spinning. You know, um, colonial powers left a lot of traditions and institutions in their wake that were not positive. I mean, the British invented the concept of the concentration camp in South Africa during the Boer War and even continued it in the 1950s when Kenya was revolting against British rule. Mm-hmm. And even though technically it was not a colony, it was a British mandate, they had concentration camps in Palestine slash Israel before the Israeli War of Independence. And when it comes to colonial powers, I think he probably ignored Japan. Uh, I thought of this when South Korea got mentioned near the end. In 1910, Japan conquered and colonized Korea, did everything they could to wipe out their language and culture. If you wanted to move up in life, you had to become fluent in Japanese. And during World War II, the Japanese drafted young Korean men into their military, and they fought and died all over the Pacific and Southeast Asia. And the colonialist Japanese were only too happy to kidnap over 20,000 Korean women and make them available to their troops as the euphemistically known, quote, comfort women, unquote. Why anybody would want to go back to colonialism in any form just boggles my mind. Yeah. Well, and as I said, I mean, we look at Afghanistan. We tried our best. We spent arguably $7 trillion. The official number, I think, is $5 trillion. But uh, that doesn't include an awful lot of money that went to contractors and an awful lot of money that just kind of stuck to the fingers of Americans and other corrupt people. So, yeah, spot on, George. I, I think you nailed it. Jackie in Port Orchard, Washington. Hey, Jackie, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's on your mind? Yeah, I just want to warn people about signing online petitions and to slow down. Don't do what I did yesterday. Sometimes these petition platforms send out a slew of petitions all in one email. Mm-hmm. And I trusted this particular platform because they're all, all their petitions are always worthwhile, you know, progressive and, you know. But in a hurry, I kept pressing sign to get through them all. Mm-hmm. But just after quickly signing a certain petition, I realized what I signed protect Medicare Advantage. Oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know if you want me to say what platform it was. That's fine. Online. Okay, CARE2, C-A-R-E, numeral 2. Yeah, okay. So I really, I just, I'm not going to sign out, sign any of their stuff anymore. Yeah, that's, that's uh, amazing. Just, just a warning. So anyway, yeah. thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks for the heads up on that. Bill in Woodwright, <laughs> Illinois. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, um, I think uh, the Democrats need to uh, reframe their uh, $3.5 trillion over 10 years down to $3.5 billion per year, which is uh, half the defense budget. $350 billion a year, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And, and uh, they need to... Yeah. But, but you know, for... Mo- I, I was going to say for some people, I, I actually, I think it's probably most Americans literally don't understand the difference between a billion and a trillion. And but they understand you, the defense budget. I don't think so. I, I, no, I really? think if you were to walk up to 20 people on the street and say, do you have any idea what the defense budget was last year? Was it more than $700 billion? Was it less than $100 billion? Was it more than $3 trillion? They would be, they, they, would, they couldn't even do a multiple choice. Um, you know, I, yeah. And, and so, and 350 sounds bigger than three and a half. <laughs> I'm serious. I guess, but I. <laughs> okay. 
So, you know, I, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but, but uh, my guess is that that's, that's probably part of the reason why the Democrats are, are messaging this as three and a half trillion over 10 years rather than 350 billion a year for 10 years is because for a lot of people, 350 sounds bigger than three and a half. Okay, well, I've been uh, I've been with you since your first day on IE America, so wow, I'll take your word for it. Well, thank you, Bill. <laughs> thank you very much. That's 18 years. Wow. Yes, thank it is. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate the call, and and you know I might be wrong on this. You know, it's I I think that uh, for you know among informed, intelligent, thoughtful, informed is the major word there. Uh, voters, they get it that 350 billion is one tenth of three and a half trillion, um, and therefore less money. But I, I just, you know, H. L. Mencken famously said, "No one ever failed to get rich underestimating the intelligence of the average American," or words to that effect. Maybe underestimating the intelligence of the American electorate. And um, I think Donald Trump has done his very best to prove H. L. Mencken right. I mean, <laughs> I got I got another one today. I mean, just an hour ago, I got an email from Donald Trump saying, I want you to come to my rally in Georgia and I'm ready to pay for your airfare and I'm ready to put you up at a hotel. I would be surprised if, by the way, nobody ever wins, right? But all you have to do to, to win is just simply make a donation of any amount today. And of course, the little check boxes are pre-checked that say, give me every month. Oh, and by the way, add $50. They're all pre-checked. It's crazy. The guy is a flim-flam artist, and he's still out there doing it. Dennis in Bayonne, New Jersey. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind? I was just recognizing a speech that was supposed to be given on November 22nd by our president. Jack um, unfortunately, he never, yeah, he never made the speech because he was killed on his way to the trademark. He talked about misinformation how it could handicap the progress of a city or a company and can, if allowed to prevail in national policy, handicap the nation's security. And I think he was, uh, I think he kind of predicted what we're going to see now and what we're seeing now. Kennedy gave another speech that he actually did give where he was talking about the damage that, you know, political lies do in America. It's been a few years since I've seen it, but I know it's floating around on YouTube someplace. I wonder if yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar. I mean, he said, we cannot expect that everyone will talk sense to the American people, but we can hope that fewer people will listen to nonsense. Yeah. I think those are... He was dealing with the John Birch Society, which was the precursor to the Tea Party, which was the precursor to Trumpism and QAnon. And, uh, you know, it was a tough time. It was a very tough time. I Dennis, think he saw what was coming, unfortunately. He I think wasn't so. around to... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's so. It's a shame. Dennis, thank you for the call. Doug in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Doug, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? How you doing, Tom? Love your show, and I love your callers even more. Thank you. Uh, you know, we, you were in electronics, and I'm also in electronics, and I noticed you have a hard time sometimes grasping numbers. And so I wanted to put something out there. There's almost 333 million Americans. That's a third of a billion. So if every American person gave $3, that's $1 billion. Oh, that's a nice now, way to say a it. Tr a trillion is a thousand billion. So a trillion is $3,000 for every person in America. It gives a way of looking at things like, oh, we spent a trillion dollars. Everybody's on the hook for three grand. That's, and it's just a, that's a way great. of putting it in perspective. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. That's a good oh, one. Yeah, I just wanted to share that with you. I will, I will use it. I appreciate it. Uh, Elena? 
Am I saying that right in Seattle? Uh, yes. Uh, hi, Tom. Hi, uh, I, I wanted to talk. I don't know if uh, anybody called about this today, but uh, the Senate parliamentarian just said that uh, uh, undocumented immigrants uh, cannot be included in the um, uh, reconciliation bill. Yeah. So she basically threw out eight million people who this would help. Yeah. How can we get rid of her? <laughs> or well, first of all, the Democrats the, uh, ignore her order. But I think it's better to just replace her with, you know, somebody else. The, let's, let's be very clear here, Elaine. What she is ruling on is a provision in the Senate rules. It's not a law. It is not in the Constitution. And as president of the Senate, Kamala Harris has the ability to overrule a parliamentarian, to simply say, yeah, thank you very much for your advice. See, the parliamentarian's judgment is not determinative. determinative. It is, or whatever the word is, it is advisory. So, number one, the Democrats can simply ignore her. They could, they could just choose to do that. And Republicans have done that in the past. Number two, they could do what Trent Lott did in 2001 when, when the first Bush tax cut was being put into place and it, it actually changed um, some of the categories of kinds of income that would be eligible for huge deductions so that people who made their money on stocks and whatnot would get a much bigger deduction than people who earned their money from, from regular income. And the parliamentarian at that time, I'm forgetting, I think his name was Robert Dove, um, said, you can't do that through, through reconciliation. That requires legislation. And Trent Lott was the, uh, was the leader of the Senate. He was the Senate Majority Leader at the time. And he just fired him. He fired, uh, as I recall, it was Robert Dove. He fired him and replaced him with somebody else who was willing to go along with it. And so Harry, uh, not Harry Reid, um, Chuck Schumer has the ability to do that. He can simply say, you know, thank you very much, Mrs. McCullough, I think her name is, or something like that, McCullough yeah. or McConaughey. He can say, thank you very much for your, uh, for your advice. And, uh, you know, we will take it very seriously, but, uh, you know, we're going to let you go. And we're going to replace you with uh, somebody who uh, used to work on the Bernie Sanders campaign. <laughs> you know, yeah, so it's basically his decision, right? The whole Senate doesn't have to vote on it. or Yes, it is Kamala Harris's decision, and she's a Democrat, uh, whether the Senate is going to take, that, take her advice. And it is Chuck Schumer's decision whether she keeps her job. And, you know, Democrats being Democrats, I'm pretty sure both of them are going to wimp the hell out. But, uh, you know, which is very distressing. But that's, that's the situation. Elena, thank you for the call. We'll see, you know, how much and to what extent they may have the, the courage of their convictions. So would you like to watch the Tom Harbin program, all three hours of our program, anytime you'd like? Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Tom Hartman, T-H-O-M-H-A-R-T-M-A-N-N, all run together. When you become a supporter of the program through Patreon, you have access to the full three-hour show anytime you want, and special content that we put up every single week that is unique specifically to our Patreon page. So check it out, Patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Thank you. So uh, all, jo <laughs> all jokes aside, there actually is a talking duck. 
Uh, every day, Louise and I, you know, we walk along the, the Columbia River here, and uh, there's lots of ducks and geese, and we often talk to them. None of them have talked back to us yet. But a Dutch scientist, this is from Reuters, has uncovered old recordings of a musk duck. Now, most of what we see are mallards or grebes. Musk duck mimicking the phrase, you bloody fool! And he learned it when he was raised by humans in an Australian bird park. This duck is named Ripper. Uh, Ten Kate, the, the, who published his findings in the Netherlands Philosophical Transactions of the Royal Society Biological Research Journal, said, it's definitely based on the human voice, even though the pronunciation is a bit odd, which might be the Australian accent. Gee, you think? I, I can't even do an Australian accent. This duck could also make the, no the noise of the sound of a door closing and a latch clicking. You know, we all know that some kinds of birds can do this sort of thing. You know, most famously the, um, the parrots, right? But ducks? Hey, hey, we've got a whole new project now when we're taking our walks. Paul in British Columbia, Canada. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I wanted to discuss with you issues pertaining to the reconciliation bill and what do you think will ultimately pass in terms of the bill in regards to what will ultimately remain intact now, some of the components to the bill obviously consist of Medicare expansion, clean energy standards, universal pre-K, affordable child care, paid family and medical leave. Such an expansion of the public sector really hasn't taken place since about the 1960s with the Great Society program. And of, and, of course, under a sort of Biden leadership who's always sort of strived for bipartisanship, I wonder what will ultimately remain and what will ultimately take in, get taken out. What do you think about that? If somebody were to uh, put a gun to me, to my head, and say, uh, you have to place a bet, my bet would be that the so-called $1 trillion, it's actually $500 billion in new money, the so-called $1 trillion bipartisan bill is the only thing that's going to pass and the only thing that will get signed into law. Um, I, I, the Republicans are mobilized against this. They have 10 Democratic allies in the House. They have two Democratic allies that we know of in the Senate. There may be others against the $3.5 trillion plan over 10 years. Um, and, that, and that $1 trillion plan is not um, anything more than basically just kind of filling in the holes here and there. It's not the kind of, you know, it's not going to address climate change. It's not going to address the crisis of Medicare. It's not going to, I mean, it's just so many things it's not going to address. Um, and if that happens, then I, and, and I, I suspect that, you know, Schrader and, and Cinema and Mansion will succeed with their sabotage. I'm hoping they don't. I'm, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that you know people know what's going on and to whatever extent they can play the role of activists, they can do something about it. Um, I'm hoping that that's, it won't, but that, that would be yeah, my bet. Yeah, that's the same sort of unfortunate, cynical, and less optimistic approach I've also taken. But we also got to remember, this is Biden's bill. Most of these I policies know. are policies that Biden advocated for within the context of the early Democratic primary debates. And, and this is his legacy. Be, yeah. I mean, you know, he needs he needs to he needs to sit these people down and say, I'm not going to let you mess with my Big legacy, part. with my presidency, with my success, and frankly, with my party. Because what's going to happen is, if you only get the one trillion dollar bill passed, and the economy continues to sag, 
and, and the Republicans continue to obstruct him in, in every regard. And particularly if they can uh, refuse to raise the debt ceiling, if they can get a couple of Democrats to go along with that so they can, don't raise the debt ceiling and America is on the edge of default. And by the way, we ran out of money in July, right? Uh, you know, Janet Yellen has been, has been pulling money out of wherever she can find it to, to, to pay for things. Um, but, you know, the, 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 due, the bill is going to come due very soon. If they can do that, then you are going to see Republican victories in 2022 and 2024. If, on the other hand, Biden can pass his three and a half trillion dollar bill, Americans can immediately see the, the positive consequences of that. Yes. We can see, you know, I mean, look at how popular LBJ was after that. I mean, the Vietnam War killed him. But had it not been for the Vietnam War, LBJ would be thought of like FDR right now. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, absolutely terrible. Paul, thank you for the call. Chuck in Coldwater, Missouri. Hey, Chuck, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Hi, everybody. I love the show. I uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, in 2015, I got Obamacare. 2016, it kicked in uh, on January 1. On uh, February 1, I got diagnosed with uh, stage 4 uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh, my God. And uh, so I signed on to the lawsuit with a... Uh, Against Roundup? Uh, Monsanto. Yeah, Mon- oh, yeah, um, use it for years, um, 2,4-D as well. And uh, so anyway, they they hired the guy that did the uh, 9-11 uh, settlements, and they gave us, everybody who's sick, they gave us all points, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got my points, and uh, I bet it comes out to a pretty good chunk of money, about 150 grand. And uh, so I said, okay, I'll, that sounds fair. Give me some relief. So the attorney took half, or almost half. Oh, geez. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that Did the insurance companies it? could take your settlements. I'm not surprised. I mean, they're insurance companies after all. These guys are predators. They're leeches on the backs of society. Chuck, thank you for the call. Holy cow. We will have to continue this conversation tomorrow because it's the end of the show. Get out there, get active. There's a lot of work we need to do. Holy cow. And get, you know, three and a half trillion dollars in, in reconciliation passed. Get out there, get active, tag your it. Be good to yourself and those around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 